0: Hello, and welcome to the Post, Post podcast, where I talk to creative minds about creative professional journeys. I'm your host, David Gidali, and this is the first episode. Our guests for this episode are Kevin Adams and Joe Xander. They co-wrote and co-directed a new feature film. It's an animation film. It's called Next Gen, uh, produced by Baozo in China, uh, made at Toronto-based tangent animation and distributed in the U.S. by Netflix. Next Gen is available on Netflix and uh, it's a really cool film, very heartwarming, offbeat, funny and technically really impressive. So what I think is makes Joe Xander and Kevin Adams like the ideal guests for this podcast is the fact that they are both uh, professionals in the animation industry. Joe. Used to be an animation director and he used to work at ILM, which for a lot of people probably would be like the highlight of their career or like their final goal almost. Uh, Kevin worked as an art director and a layout artist at Disney, another huge achievement for any artist that wants to be in this in this industry. And they both left the comforts of those uh, careers and uh, went on a unknown path into becoming writers and directors. And for quite a few years, uh, actually, had to, like, some w- find other ways to survive in a way, and and kind of write and make their sh- slow transition into becoming filmmakers. And this film represents uh, a big step for them. You know, it's not something that started yesterday. It's something that they've worked on for a long time. Uh, and that's why I wanted to talk to them about their journeys and about their fears and and uh, what made them make this kind of bold move. And we did discuss it we also discussed their secret sauce for a successful collaboration as writers the unique circumstances that made the film a great experience for them and enabled them to achieve their vision at such great level of creative and technical freedom and also talked about the challenges of keeping it going now that they're on the map managing their time and making use of this precious time window to get the next film going this is the only episode that is up right now but i've already recorded six more episodes that I'm really excited about and I think you should definitely hear when they come out. So if you don't want to miss it, uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, uh, or the Apple podcast app. And with this, I give you episode one of the Post Post podcast.
1: i'm joe cassander i'm kevin
0: adams and together we are <laughs> joe cassander and kevin adams yeah i'm the rhinoceros i'm the, the hip-hop botamus is it usually joe first kevin second or does it alternate it's always kevin first it is but only <laughs> yeah. for alphabetical reasons <laughs> yeah really i have to make sure i say that contractually yeah gotcha okay so there's no uh leading man
1: uh no like we, alpha beta so just, we we are constantly struggling for uh, supremacy yeah
2: but that's good keep super to... passive aggressively
1: yeah
0: no no you go no no it's fine no no you go okay your idea was so much better yeah but you know let's consider that thing together.
1: you said that reminds me of a thing i said
2: yeah we did a writer's room today on the way out um the first thing i said was yeah we won
1: that yeah. <laughs> and i said it's not a competition kevin
2: but yes
0: <laughs> but yes <laughs> It's like, I remember your idea, which is so cool to do this and this and that. Dude, that was your idea.
2: Yeah. Oh, was me. it? Yeah, it was good. Know, it was a good idea. That actually <laughs> did happen. Yeah, we, we write back and forth on each other's stuff, and we have a tendency to start forgetting who did what. That's but good.
1: That's when you know it's working, really. Like yeah. If it, if it holds up on its own. You feel like you own it? Like you came up with it? You well, if, you, if you're holding onto it because you think you own it then, it, then you don't know if it's because it's good or because I wrote it. Right. Um, and, but once you get to the point where you sort of forget where the idea came from, but it still works, then it's a sign that that it's working, which is one reason why it's, it's sort of, it's fun to work together, but it also speeds things up Right. uh, because you can kind of go through a few iterations. Like if you get to the point, you're like, oh, that's just a good idea versus like I'm precious. It helps you avoid being precious. It's pretty rare to get to the end of something and go,
2: oh, that was my section.
1: There are a few
2: occasionally, but most of the time it's like the first pass I write something. To try and get Joe to laugh, right? So occasionally <laughs> I put something in there. Well, there's no way that can stay until the end, but Joe's going to laugh out loud at that. And occasionally that stuff stays in. That's the stuff that is like, okay, I wrote that because I remember that piece. Right.
1: Yeah. No, and it, I think we try to just make that clear that when we're working together, there's something. Uh, if it's an idea or a, a script or whatever, that it's the best idea wins. Right. But the best idea you know, may not come from you, may not come from us. Sometimes, you know, we'll get into conflict, like he'll say one thing and I'll say a different thing and they're kind of at odds. But then we sort of work it through from base principles, like what are we trying to say? What's the truth of the scene or whatever? And then usually what we'll do is we'll figure out what's really going on. We'll come up with a third solution that's better that we wouldn't have come up with on either of our own.
0: Gotcha, do you ever find out uh, that an idea that, that is good like, you think it couldn't have been your idea? That's why you just assume it was the other person's idea? Even though it might, might have... we achieved. mentioned
2: that today, that the, the key ingredients to being a good creative artist is, uh...
1: Yeah, crippling self-doubt mixed with totally unearned, arrogant self-importance. Uh, yeah,
2: so you flop back and forth between, like, that was the most genius idea in the world, and then going, oh, shit, if I think it's genius, it must be horrible.
1: Yeah, and there's a certain <laughs> amount of, like, if, you, if you're really impressed with your own shit, sorry, if you're really impressed with your own stuff... Yeah, I can say shit. Um... I, based on our film, I'm sure you, you know, we're fine with that. Um, (laughs) we'll bleep it like the dog thing. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. If you're really impressed with your own stuff, then you don't get better. But if you only hate your own stuff, then you stop making things. Right. right? So there's gotta be this like constant tension between like, I'm not good enough or like, yeah, I am fucking awesome. And then, uh, you know, those kinds of things get you sort of let you improve.
2: The arrogance to just go ahead and do it because... You have to do it to get better.
1: Yeah, or even just assuming that your ideas are worth hearing.
2: But right. then the the paranoia that you have to go back and make sure you're doing better next time.
0: So you guys, uh, any news? Anything happened lately that is worth talking about? Because I mean, we haven't nothing in particular. Nothing. <laughs> no, we got this really. little thing out on... on on Yeah, it's on the internet.
1: Yeah, we got this internet video. Yeah. Internet <laughs> video.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Internet video called Next Gen. Yeah, I saw uh, it. I think on on like Facebook, Netflix. So oh, Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Netflix. But I think I saw a post about it on Facebook. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you've been you've been watching my feed, have you? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I couldn't help uh, but notice that you guys have something out. Yeah, yeah. So uh... Uh, I watched it. It's great. Next gen. Um, like, especially I wanted like just to, to to like straight off the top like the some of the uh, effect stuff like the, the, you know, the, the, um, electrical kind of craziness that's going on every time with those like futuristic weapons, it's just like mind blowing is really, really well done.
1: That was sort of one of the briefs we had from our producers, the, the folks at BaoZo who, you know, put us on this project. Like we, you know, we wrote this thing ourselves with their, you know, with their input. But one of the things they told us early on is they, they showed us clips from, uh, One Punch Man. Like specifically for the visual effects, the VFX yeah. in One Punch Man of like, you know, electricity arcing when you get punched into space and they're like, this is so cool. And we're like, this is the movie you want to make? Well,
2: yeah, it's like, so they, These it was when we were in China and these the two of the guys went up and they acted out the sequence explaining to us, okay, and then the effect goes like this and then he holds his sword backwards and it looks like a ninja. They're just explaining a scene that was right. in their head. We're going oh yeah, we know that. That's the <laughs> stuff we love. If that's what you're actually
1: asking us to make, this mm-hmm. is awesome. Yeah, because we got brought on this thing originally as writers and the film was in a different state. It was a totally different subject matter. Same, Basically the same character names. That was, that was what, what we kept. It
2: was, a, it was a girl and a robot and a couple weird set pieces that they had liked. Like there was an idea of a night rainbow. There was an idea of... Night rainbow? yeah. It, it, like it's very specific. It's just an image and, a, and a, okay. a, a potentially like an emotional set piece, mm. but the main thing was they had the idea of this a robot that has to delete memories and he's with a girl, but. That was kind of the main core thing, oh, I and see. we wrote from that based on.
1: But on after that. talking to them and realizing the kinds of movies that they wanted to make, they grew up on it's a it's a it's a team of like basically online comedy writers. Okay. Um, Bowzo, Manhua, they're like a yeah like an online comedy almost. Oh, like I a, heard
0: about. It. They also have a graphic novel or something like that or a comic. No, they, they, well or they originally someone...
1: started as an online comic site, so like you would submit comics, they would produce comics. That's where yep. they got built their base, and that was like ten years ago. But then they've be, become like an, a media empire. In, in yeah. uh, China, like they've got like a dozen online shows, a couple of TV shows. Their main character is this um, this talk show host called uh, Wanima, mm-hmm. who's uh, got, who wears a a radish head mask <laughs> uh, because he's it's kind of a comedy bit, but it's also because the stuff he says gets him a little. It's a little bit um, edgy, so it gets him in trouble with the government and stuff sometimes. So um, so they, he wears a mask, but he's a really popular character. But that team, Baozo, Always wanted to make a animated film. They always wanted to make features, especially right. animation. Um, but you know, they they grew up in a different place. They're a bunch of thirty year old Chinese uh, creatives. They grew up watching, you know, Evangelion and Macross and and you know Japanese horror right. things like that and Chinese uh, folklore and stuff. So they had a really like open idea about the kinds of things they wanted to see animation. They came to North America to work with American talent Canadian talent. Uh, but as as you like to say, you know, it started out as a film.
2: Yeah, it started as a film where the climax was a dance-off, right? And it was, a, which is not inherently bad, but that's a, it sort of speaks to a different audience. And I think that in in North America, there's a tendency to see animation as a uh, a, a genre rather than a medium. Mm. And, and, you know, like some people like Brad Bird are saying that, no, it's not a genre, it's a medium, right? And you can tell different stories in it. But there's... You know, there's a certain amount of risk aversion. It's different, and I can't compare it to another film. I'm not sure how much money I want to put into distribution, and that sort of shapes the t- type of films that people make. Cause- here in like here in the states or here in North America. Yeah, totally. But these guys, they had, um, they're a little
0: bit fearless. And it's like, okay, we don't care if it's a little bit outside the box. Just make it what it wants to be. Yeah, and it's very. I mean, watching it was, it was very clear that you had a lot of like kind of free reign to to do things. You have a, a cursing, like you know dog that who knows what they're saying i mean i, I could a, only imagine we know you know you do you have an uh, unbeeped version of that we have eight hours of michael penna just being <laughs> a, a swear aficionado a swearsmith you yeah. have to release it at some point right i mean you have to cut it back in and i think and, i think not no i think i think people are happy to fill that gap in
2: yeah
1: when you, when Ah. They, that way the, the, the bad words are happening in your head, not not on well, screen. Well, I think
2: the thing too is the bleeps allowed us to actually fake some things. So some of the stuff underneath the bleeps might not totally make sense. Mm. Because we we're able to we we're able to craft things that made you think of bad words, but it's mostly in your head.
1: And some of it's like a rhythm joke, like you know, yeah. how much how long the bleep is versus right. how long the non bleep is, and we experimented with that a
0: little bit. Yeah ah that's uh that's so funny but it was refreshing to see and also like i think the val- the the violence in the film is like is pretty we like to say action but yes yeah i mean it's more it's more violent than than most uh you know kids movies which i i think is great i think you know that we should you know not great in terms of like <laughs> good for, kids, yeah. for good for kids but like as an adult watching it i felt like it wasn't you know it was kind of Catering to my sensibilities as well.
1: Yeah, we, I mean, we don't really call it ourselves, and this is not a dig against what you just said, but we don't call it a kids' movie. Yeah. We, we think it is a broadly entertaining movie, and it's edgy for animation, but right. like it's not that edgy. Like you know, Spider-Man: Homecoming is rated PG-13, right? So it's not it's not that much more edgy than like an Ant-Man or a Spider-Man. But, but because it's animation it sort of has the patina people think oh it's for kids i'm like
0: that is for yes, kids yeah. the way
1: it's, for, it's kids for kids the way star
0: wars is for kids right exactly i mean it, i shouldn't have said kids film but it's the um um in 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 the like if, if you put it and compare to other animated films like that came you know in, in recent years or just the perception of animation that that you know that we have uh because of how hollywood is creating you know because of those you know uh, rules that Hollywood has kind of set down for, for films like that. This is a, this kind of rebels a bit against those rules and, and sort of stands out as something unique and, and, and interesting and, and definitely kind of feels like it's not another kind of, uh, part of the same pipeline. It's, it's different. It's, it brings something new to the table, which I think is really cool. And Netflix, I think also is, is taking a, a, you know, an interesting kind of bold move, you know putting yeah, it out there they, and Well,
2: so Netflix came on when we were about 70% through production. And normally on a film, and we're, we're um, used to that process, but normally when that, uh, usually distributor comes on at that point, they're like, oh, here's the list of changes that you need to make. And, w- and we were thinking, oh yeah, there's for sure, we put in a bunch of stuff we know that's going to get cut out. But Netflix was like, no, we know we're kind of okay to embrace that this is strange. And they gave us notes, but largely... They were making the same film we were, and then even then they said, you know, if you don't do any of these, we're still okay. But you know, we'll give you this, the you notes, know, because they have experienced filmmakers, and right. it's kind of unprecedented that they would say you don't have to do it. I know we bought this for all this money and everything, but um, you don't have to change it if you don't want to. Oh wow, so that was kind of like really nice. Between that, uh, that freedom, and this Zhou not having the North American preconceptions, you got to make a film that we
1: would never have. thought thought the system would allow us to ever make yeah and we got to make exactly what we got to make exactly what we uh what we wanted to make i mean there's always concessions to make during production because things are expensive and slow or whatever but there's a um uh we, we got lucky in that like you know we wrote and worked with our producers we wrote this and we directed it to be the film that we wanted to see right um thinking that there are other people who share our tastes, and it looks like there are, like the audience is really responding well to it, even though it doesn't have some of the trappings of, or or rather it does have the trappings of an animated film that you might see, but we keep, in the film, keep changing the expectation. We keep sort of trying to surprise the audience and keep going further or exploring ideas that don't don't normally get explored. Yeah, Yeah.
2: we, we did sort of know that coming into it, the audience, that especially in North America, but other places as well, people would expect a certain thing, so we kept doing a thing where we'd give them a little bit of what they expected and then we'd change the equation. So even with the fights, for example, the first one is a very standard Hollywood action movie fight. Car chase. Mm-hmm. Car chase. Right. But the second one is a three minute uncut shot. The third one is a is a conversation that just happens to be a fight. And the fourth one is a big over the top anime thing.
0: Yeah. That at
1: the same time is the, you know, the emotional climax of the movie as well.
2: But it's sort of changing those expectations, knowing what the audience is sort of thinking. And also, like, we put a lot more into the cinematography than kids would normally appreciate, knowing that it had to pay off in the end. Yeah. And a lot more into the character work, knowing that that would have to pay off with some real emotion, too. And those things were not necessary. I probably could have, if it was really for that younger audience, I probably could have put more jokes in, kept people equally as entertained but we put a lot of work in and threw out a lot of jokes in favor of the stuff that we knew would earn the emotional ending.
0: Yeah, I mean, I could tell those uh, camera moves. I mean, I noticed the wonners and, and the, you know, that, that was something that really stood out is like, wow, these guys like really kind of spent a lot of time planning this out very carefully, very specifically, like this is, you know, probably some of the best action scenes I've seen. I think, you know, I, I was kind of you know, noting it as I was watching is this is really impressive. There's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of uh, uh, cool, just cool choreography and, and camera movements. And, and uh, of course, the visuals also, like the colors, I think, in this film are, are really great, really great and crazy and, and very, it's just a lot of it, you know, just <laughs> color everywhere and, and used a in a things. very interesting kind of um, flavorful way. I don't know how to even. That's a, that's it a shout very... out for Patty Hicks right there. <laughs> <film> <laughs> <Yeah. show. laughs> our, the
2: one when we we started off, Patty Hicks is our our producer, intrepid producer. But she's like, ah, oh,
1: it's really brown. She, we had we had the color <laughs> keys. Uh, we had an amazing production designer, Craig Sellers. was like a concept artist for Guardians of the Galaxy. And oh wow. Marwin Call, he just did and things like that. But so we had printouts of his color keys, and we were definitely going for like a '70s kind of neo noir, kind of French Connection or dog day afternoon kind of vibe which right. is fairly brown excuse me right the mic. <laughs> it's the beers, um, it's the beers. Well, can we say we were drinking uh, yeah, beers? Yeah. Uh, fam- family thing but uh but so craig had done these amazing concept paintings but they did have a very like 70s sort of feel to them and then you print them out you put them on the wall sort of see the whole film
2: i think and like 25 percent of that was the printer as well
1: but yeah to, to be honest like it was like just you know because there's a subtlety and it, i think we didn't do a cartoon palette um and not that there's anything wrong with Cartoon Palette, but we just wanted to stand out. We can't compete with Disney. We we have a fifth of their budget, right? Um, so we can't compete with them. We don't want to look like cheap Disney. Um, and those guys are all super talented, and they have great technology and great artists. But we had to be smart and do something that they wouldn't do. Not that they couldn't do, but that they wouldn't do. And part of it was like embracing the embracing the film grain and the and the '70s stylings and the and the architecture and putting
2: a, we put a lot of care into like. You know, we would shoot things like you would shoot a 70s neo-noir, like Dog Day Afternoon. Really long lenses through crowds, and then we would warp the lens, like the anamorphic lens, and we would put the actual lens flares that would fit on that lens. And then even treat the camera like if you were panning across something, we'd let it get ugly before you cut, because the editor, if he was panning through footage, would go, okay, this is where the footage stopped working. So we'd actually engineer in the stuff getting ugly to make it feel like an editor made choices, hmm. but
1: you have to you have to reverse engineer that in animation, right? Because yeah. otherwise, you know, because you don't get anything for free.
2: But so, just a tiny shout out the the look of this stuff is I mean there's we worked at Tangent Animation in Toronto, right? And, Toronto uh, and Winnipeg, yeah. right? And we and they have a part of it. They had a bunch of good people, but then we also like uh, Arc Studio, which was one of the biggest studios in Toronto, closed down, and right? We, I, and there was I a no bunch idea. of guys there that I've been trying to get. To come
1: The truth is, when we started this movie, we didn't have like a crew. We we had engaged Tangent Animation, which was Jeff Bell's company, um, and they you know they just finished a small film like an Argentinian film, um, and, Spanish wasn't it? Or Spanish, yeah, Spanish film, um, and then uh, you know and I think you had like twenty people in a you know in a place that you know smaller than your apartment, and. Um, and you know, they were super talented and we knew Jeff, Jeff is a, um, worked on nine. We worked on nine. Right. That
2: guy's a freaking super genius, which is the reason we went there.
1: Yeah. Um, but there was n- not a lot of people in town cause arc animation was the big shop and they had everybody sort of locked up and we went and visited all of our friends there. Um, Including our editor Matt Ahrens, our art director Richard Chen. Yeah, and I, um, I you called
2: them over the years, right? Like I call him up. Yeah, you called Richard a same, bunch. Of times. I call Richard up all the time, but some of the others as well. Like I was at DreamWorks, call him up. Hey, guys, you want to come down? Because I know that those guys could own any studio they walked into, but they just love the Blue Jays and like their that's their home, right? Yeah. So there's this core group of like creative guys that could like work anywhere in the world because there's a big animation community. So the guys who rise to the top are totally world class. But you'd never get them right because they have a cushy job there and then this place closed down and we got to skim every
1: one of the best guys wow <laughs> yeah, I got, guys and girls like we just we we got really lucky when arc went bankrupt and it's but that not, was not, a not, while ago right how long ago was two that two years ago right so yeah. we, in fact we had visited them to kind of recruit them we just we had actually mm. got up to get craig who's who lives in toronto as well and he 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 signed on which was great but then we went to arc to try to Entice some of these people and they're like, ah, it sounds great guys, but we've got this gig and they're doing, you know, they're doing, you know, they're good projects. It's not, you know, it's not anything exciting, but on paper, who are we? Like we were friends with these guys, but our film it's Chinese money, it just didn't look like a, a safe deal. Since you told me, I can swear that yeah, we look shit on paper. I yeah. think it's the equation.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, but let me ask you this: Is this normal for directors to be like looking at like actually handpicking their animation you know, team? I, mean, I don't know. I think we just because we know those guys, and it's not it wasn't. It was a tiny budget, right? So we got to kind of do what we
1: got to do. When yeah. that company closed down, it was a Friday afternoon. It was like a, like a two month two or three months later, we were in Burbank on editorial. Um, Arc goes bankrupt, and then we get a text from Richard Chen. Um, and just in the middle of a conversation, Kevin leans forward and looks on his phone, phone and he's like, the fuck you say? <laughs> and, and, and Richard had said, I think art just went bankrupt. Wow. He had like shown up at work and, uh, you know, there were chains on the door and, and all that. So that was a Friday. Sunday, we were on a plane to Toronto. On Monday, we were in a pub pitching the film with concept art. To, to, to the artists. To <laughs> the artists. And and we just like, and a lot, because they're friends of ours, people we knew, that was helpful. But also I think they saw uh, uh, Craig's amazing concept paintings
0: um the story was something they don't get to do in animation very often and by that point it was already greenlit you had the budget to start working we were working we were okay, we you were, were already cutting the movie working.
1: we were like like 3 months away from going to cg production or something yeah. like. oh, I and see. i think
2: the thing is too like before we got there we were definitely small well so i say on paper we we were First-time directors, Chinese money, and original script does not look enticing to anybody, right? And then you go to my friend's studio, who Jeff, who it looked kind of small, right? So it didn't look tremendously appetizing to artists that are going to come in and go, "Oh, this is a big, great." No, this is like a pretty rinky-dink operation. That's Plus, it. they use uh, terrible. Uh, sorry, he's Jeff. Bl- yeah, sorry, no, Jeff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, 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 Jeff not, knows. Not rinky-dink. Awesome, but but tight. But right? small,
1: yeah. And they use proprietary. It's not They use open-source software called Blender. to do do the animation and cycles to render, which is not, it can be a challenge recruiting people because who are, people are experienced in Maya or whatever. It's it's, it's a bit of a challenge for recruiting. So it's not that it looked bad. It's just like, it's, it's a risk, right? You're asking artists to come take a risk.
2: But so there's a bunch of faith in getting people, but on top of that, you're saying like, you know, is that normal for directors Uh, at this scale? Nothing is normal. It's just whatever it takes to get it done. Yeah. And it's it was it's one of the the things that was great about it. In fact, is that Jeff is fearless. Um, and the way that he does his stuff. In fact, normally one of the big parts of the process is you'll do storyboards, then you do a complexity pass, saying, okay, I have this much money.
1: What is realistic? And right. you start cutting stuff or simplifying sets or reducing character count. For that and, and Jeff actually said, no, don't do that. And I'm like, what?
2: And he's <laughs> like, no, we'll, we'll, we can make it work. I'll figure it out. Because the guy is relentlessly uh, positive and creative, yeah. And he's like, "No, I'll give you all everything that you want until you ask until you ask me to stop and start taking it out." Aggressively
1: collaborative. Yeah, exactly. Wow.
2: Yeah, that's but, really nice. But so he
1: owns Tangent. He, or, yeah, he's he's the the yeah. founder, and I think I think he's co-owner and founder of Tangent. Yeah. Um, uh,
2: but, yeah. but at any rate, the guy is. Um, I think it's that it's it's not really. What is it? I, it's not nearly naivete exactly, but it's like no, none of us really knew exactly what but we uh, what we were getting into. But we had a tremendous amount of faith that if we were smart about it, we could do whatever we wanted to. Yeah. And so we sort of went with that. There was faith in people coming to that place when it wasn't big. There was faith in us going, okay, we're going to achieve this, regardless of the fact that nobody else has to date done this amount of quality yeah. for this time.
1: And, also, I mean, you can,
0: and you can see it, I think, when you watch the film. I, I mean, especially those like, last kind of huge action sequences with all the explosions and, the, the you know, all the uh demolitions and stuff like that i was like someone did not put brakes. and like <laughs> yeah. no one has actually like I, it just seemed like it was just all out you know just yeah i the, think i think if we put a, guns if we put just... a
2: bunch of producers in in a room showed them our script and then our budget they, everyone to a man or woman would have told us we're completely stupid to try that yeah
1: and we, we probably were but with one thing was we, we had really good people and we trusted them so kevin and i like to say that there's a um you know there's a when we come in as a directors it's not like we're the boss we're just it's another job um on the team and we don't want to be the the limiting factor we want to be the worst it can be is what we come up with right and so you you bring people on people like that like our like our animate animator sh- animation leads uh, rob Silvestri and uh, jesse lickman adam beck um Garfie james then our, our Richard Chan is our art director who also ended up supervising visual effects. Really? Yeah. Um, just um, because of just the nature of the production. And, you know, th- that's the guy who, who could do it and just knew what to do. Paul Sedolny, our DP. These, um, and Paul Coet, the camera. Yeah, camera operation, good call. Um, and there's just this um, uh, trusting these people. And, you know, and maybe they don't give you exactly what you asked for, but they give something that they believe right. in. Yeah. Like, then you're like, okay, I will I will take what you gave me because it's, it's good and because you cared. And, you know it, it it sort of evolves based on the people and who are involved with it.
2: Yeah, there's so there's kind of this it's the reason I think that we we collaborate well too is that we're both very why centric, which is that whatever decision we make, we understand why we're doing it before we decide what it is. Because mm-hmm. if you just come into a conversation with two people, this is what you need to do and this is what you need to do, and they don't agree. The only thing they can do is argue until one person wins and it's one just, person loses. It's just opinion right. versus opinion. But if you come in like, this is why I'm doing this, this is why I'm doing that, and you disagree, then one they explain your sides. One person even needs to do a better version of their thing, or there's a third solution. But it also works when you direct people, too. It's not like you ask them to do, do 10 versions and I'll pick the one I like. Right. You say, listen, I know why, and here's the thing I was thinking of. And they go, okay, I get that. But like Richard, <laughs> Richard Chen is is awesome. He's super collaborative and really nice. But I would occasionally do a painting because I have a background in art. And I would give it to him and he goes, oh, this is great. You mind if I try one? Which basically means I could do this way, way better than you (laughs) (laughs) now that I understand what you're asking for. And I was like, yeah, totally do. Do your thing. So each one of those guys is like raises the bar in his
0: individual discipline and we're not the limiting factor. That's cool. Let me ask you something I want to kind of uh, go back to before the film, uh, because you know this podcast is mainly about professionals uh in the in the post-production field you know, whether it's visual effects something else who who have kind of made that transition and became more creatively independent let's say or kind of took their you know got into a uh, sort of carved their way into uh the you know the role of, of a filmmaker or a business owner or whatever like you know um so i'm very curious because i know joe from before before next gen even before gear uh, I know you've worked. Uh, you you taught at uh, at Noman, right? I taught at Noman. I taught at CalArts, Arts. And um, and yeah. And you were also a VFX supervisor, a- animation, you, supervisor animation supervisor for visual effects films. Yeah. So um, I'm kind of curious at what you know. It seems like that's a that's a career right there. Like you you know you could have just gone and you know kept in that direction and, and stayed. in Yeah, it was,
1: I mean, actually, Kevin and I have very similar stories here too, because Kevin was a. Uh, layout supervisor at uh, Disney Feature animation uh, very, uh, very, briefly. very very briefly very <laughs> yeah. briefly but um but it, you know like top of the industry like that's a career as right. well right yeah. um, and uh, like quitting industrial light magic was the hardest thing I ever did because it's a great job it's great people it's the peak of the industry um, I, I loved it there um, but it was you know there was like either I'm gonna stay here and go on to a you know another movie and supervise or something like that and I'll stay here for the rest of my life or I'm leaving now, not working for a year and writing because it wasn't going to happen on right. its own. Kevin had a similar a similar path, actually.
2: Yeah, well, I think I think this is related. It may sound somewhat tangential, but I think that, that it, we both came to a reasonably high point. Like, we're proficient in our careers. We can keep getting jobs and so on. But if you plan out, say, art direction, for example, as art direction and production designing, the way I did it, I would graph out the film. And it wouldn't be the intensity. It would be the character story, right? so that the art could um, represent the high points in the and the arcs and the changes in character. Um, and what you get to see after you do enough of them is like, okay, there's a problem here, and but it's not really an art problem, it's a story problem. And if I really wanna fix it, I have to start writing. So you're kind of like, I was studying story for a while and then finally said, I'm just gonna start writing these because I have a feeling I can learn this and do better. And the same thing for animation which is that, you know, you animate a scene. I've heard Joe say this so many times. I'm actually <laughs> doing his speech now. Yeah, yeah. You animate a scene enough times and you get into detail and you're working on it and you go, okay, I could fix arcs and stuff like that. And I could change it, but it re- really
1: needs to do, I have to rewrite it. cuz right. It's a story yeah. problem. It's not yeah, animation. It's like, yeah, you can, you, know, you think it's about the mechanics of the move. You know, like, oh no, it's about the entertainment choice. Oh no, it's about the acting. Oh no, it's about the story. So to get your finger arcs right, you have to rewrite the whole film right mm-hmm. and we we kind of discovered that we thought the same way about that because i love animation cinematography I'm, I'm sure kevin you're a fan of art direction but it, it like there was a there was a, a sort of a hunger to do more like i, I want that stuff to work and, and it shows up like you know in our film you know there's animations very important art direction is very important but again like to search to serve story so we were able to throw stuff out that was beautifully animated well actually no we didn't have that kind of luxury but we'd throw stuff out in story because, you know, it would have been fun to animate, but it didn't serve the bigger the yeah. bigger story. I
2: think that, you know how you get together with anybody creatively, I guarantee it, especially in the industry, you'll get together with your friends on the weekend. and You go, oh, God, we should do this. We're going to do a short. And it lasts for about a day and a half, maybe a little bit longer, and then it just never goes anywhere. But I right. think because Joe and I were hungry to learn to write in the same way. And we got together, and we both thought the story very mechanically and uh, meticulously, right, about why you do everything. That whenever we started anything, the big surprise was that whatever we started, we finished. And in relatively quick time. And really all it is is iteration. Like, there's no, the, I, I'm not saying that we're great, but we're continuing to improve. Because whatever we do, we do another thing, and we get better, and we like we keep learning. So did you guys quit at the same time? Was it always a kind of a, a partnership? Oh my God. There's like th- how many, three years of doing day jobs while you kept writing in the evening to get better.
1: Yeah. So Kevin was, was at PDI in Northern California and I was at ILM. Um, so we'd already sort of started working together at that point. Um, and, you know, we're like writing animated feature pitches and stuff like that. And then, um, but then you left P- our PDI shut down or you left PDI first. No, right? I left PDI FBI first and I left ILM or PDI left me. I think. <laughs> right. Um, and so, uh, we, you know, like we did, there's this period where like we both kind of quit our day jobs. Um, and then we got gear, which was a contest for, um, break, with, yeah, break, break, media. break media and, um, uh, uh, uh new. New Regency. New Regency, thank you. Have yeah. put together a science fiction film festival, and um, well done, nicely done. Yeah, I never um, remember anything. Yeah. I'm the one who forgets things usually.
0: Um, and uh, was that Evan Cholfin? Was it was Evan? Evan was you?
1: the like the the lead um, uh, exact, but he actually left New Regency. While, right, I remember uh, that. So so the thing kind of lingered a little, lingered a little bit, and. But we, um, we got a chance, and they gave us some money to make a film, and we got a chance to make a film at, at the high level. So, so basically, like we had made this thing, but you're not making money. It's still a, a side job. So we both had to take day jobs. And I, I started working at, um, actually, we're full circle, because I started working at uh, Disney Imagineering. At the same uh, time? and then Well, just to make money. Oh, yeah. um, and it was great working with those guys. But then that's also when you got the gig on this film as the art director. It was, it was a, a previous creative team. They needed an art director, and Kevin came on for that. On Disney? No, no, sorry, on, on uh, Next Gen. Oh, on so Next they, Gen. They yeah. worked on it for a year before we came on as writers, but Kevin gotcha. was on originally as an art director.
2: Yeah, I think at the time we were doing, like, we were writing a Russian television show, and then also we did this uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle short. So, yeah, for Nickelodeon. But then it's like, okay, well, that's done, and now I need to make money again so I can write some more. <laughs> and so usually I was only taking art direction and production design if it was for a friend. And so I'd known an ex-Disney guy, and they're working on this movie, so I thought oh, I'll help them out for a while. Gotcha. But it blossomed into something completely unexpected.
0: Yeah. So what what was the point for you, Joe, for instance, that you kind of you quit? Were you at ILM at the time, or was it already after you quit? With uh, when you guys did uh, Gear, when you guys uh, got no,
1: I I was at ILM before Gear, um, and I left ILM. Basically, I didn't have any prospects. I had no job, and I, I quit ILM, which was my dream job. Came back to LA. Um, and was unemployed on purpose. I'm doing. Air, I'm doing air quotes. Yeah. On purpose, I was unemployed for a year while we worked on stuff. Like I essentially. So I had worked at Rhythm and Hughes before that, and had a sort of a severance package, and was kind of just living off of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, but and so Kevin and I were working stuff. Kevin, I think actually we were in Texas, and I came and hung out with you in Texas for a while um, while we developed um, another pitch together.
2: Yeah, I think by the time we got this, we had put like
1: actually no gear was the very first thing we wrote. No, Mudfoot was. Was it? Well, you wrote Gear. Gear was originally an idea that Kevin had like in high school. Um, oh, you're right. And, yeah, yeah. But then we did Mudfoot, which was just a pitch for an animated feature that got, you know, it was well received, but we haven't actually sold it or anything. But we were working on that as a pitch to take to the studios. But while we were working on that, we were coming up with this idea for a short film to do gear. Gear was originally supposed to be a feature, but we're like, nobody's gonna just give us a feature like right, that. Yeah. So let's let's um, do like a short that works. And so we had kind of written a a, a short film together um and, done, and Kevin had done much of concept art for it when this competition came along this break media yeah thing basically
2: about, we just finished putting together a feature treatment a short film script and then a bunch of artwork and then this thing this this media break media break, break media, media contest comes up and says hey, if you have a feature treatment with short film and a, and stuff ready <laughs> we're like well we happen to have it sitting
1: right here <laughs> yeah yeah So a little bit right time in the right place but of course you're not making money off that in fact they gave us money but we had to put our own money into it as well I um, mean, it's tough, right? Because you're—I mean—and you know this. Like, you got to sort of, of like to do these to do these things. Like, you're you're not getting paid for the first time you direct, or you know, you're putting your own money into it, or you're just putting your time. And you know, as a visual effects supervisor, you know that like your day job pays a lot more, um, and it's hard to give it's hard to give that up, right? Yeah. And, you know, well, and
2: I, I used to. I mean we weren't bad at what we did. Like I used to think I was okay at that production design art direction until I met Richard Chen on this yeah. film. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized that, yeah, that I have no future in that. Yeah. If I'd until there. I met
1: Eric Stinson, I thought I was an animator.
2: Yeah. But, um, yeah, two guys on the art, art director and one of the lead animators is insane. But, um, I don't even remember my point now. I'm just so in awe of Dickie Chen
0: that I can't even <laughs> For think... you, Kevin, when, did you have a moment where you uh, where you had to like leave a job or you make, made a conscious decision that this is when I'm going to like spend the next of my, you know?
2: No, I, had, I just gave up on sleep for about, <laughs> yeah, I think it was about three years where I would do my day job, but it wasn't particularly fulfilling to me anymore. And so it's like, no, nah, you know what, I'm going to keep, I'm going to actually chase this. This is what I want to do. So the, the problem is, I think my original point was we're reasonably good at what we're doing. So not only are you identified as that job, when people think of you, they don't think of you as a writer. So you kind of have to go to brand new people right? that think of you in a new way. But also it's like, I'm getting a job offer to do that. And can I really turn that down to, to, to practice? Because what I really need to do is not take that job and practice so that I can make what I want to do my day job. Yeah. Right. And did you turn down jobs? Um, largely I didn't. I just doubled up. I just worked on it. At some point, you know, I think there was a, when I stopped, I think it was after I stopped PDI, I can't remember. There was a gap between two projects that ended up being like about two months, which turned out to be exactly the right amount of time I needed to do the visual effects and and the uh, shoot for gear. Gotcha. So I did like not go seeking a job
0: for a little bit. Um, until... It's funny how it is sometimes. It's like, you know, things align. Somehow you, you're about to make a short and then your job somehow stops. Yeah,
1: I think that becomes a sort of priority. Like if you're freelance, right. then, you know, your your day job um, is finding other jobs. Right. And once you've got a few, they keep coming, right? So, but at some point you just say, you know what, I'm not going to say yes or I'm not going to pick up the phone. For a while and that's hard to do because you're so desperate for work and we you know we've all worked in this industry for so long and it's just getting a job you know you got to got to work at ilm or you got to work at disney it's a big deal and now you're saying no and it's weird and your in, every instinct in your body is screaming against that right um, but okay. priorities change and if you get a chance to do a film you always wanted to do even if you're not making money off of it you can kind of carve a kind of actually sign. you know i
2: stand correct i do remember that remember um was it frog prince is that what it was called uh
1: princess the princess and the frog
2: princess and the frog I got a call up from Disney because they're going back to 2d and that's where I started right in 2d layout drawing the stuff and so they called me up and asked me to go back and uh I think that was when I actually started doing more writing and I was like yeah you know what I don't think I want to I know that would pay really well and they're like no man you got to be humble and come back it's like "Nah, you know I'm
1: not gonna do that (laughs) yeah I'm definitely not humble
2: (laughs) yeah I just like I, I know I, I love 2D animation. I have, I love it to stay alive as well, but um, I'm not going to drop, you know, this thing that I'm trying to chase to step back because it did, really did feel like a step back.
0: So that felt at that point kind of like you've made a, a transition in, in a way. You don't longer, you no longer see yourself as a as a 2D, you know, concept artist or, or storyboard artist or whatever. And now you you are, you know, Kevin, the writer, or Kevin, the writer-director, potentially.
2: Yeah,
1: I think. I mean, I don't know if it. You can tell me. If it's well, done.
0: he he actually had that written on his um, baby's
1: uh, his, his, <laughs> as a, as onesie as a child. It said Kevin the writer-director. Yeah, I I like. I I think even when you are Disney, you were thinking of yourself as a filmmaker. Yeah, I. I, So when I very, very
2: first started it was when DreamWorks first started, like just opened up, and I actually got in the late
1: 1900s. Yeah, so I'm
2: I'm super old. I was a baby at the time. Yeah, (laughs) so I, 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 I got an offer to go there to be an animator, or Disney to be a layout artist, and you know, because I'm super smart, I thought, oh, layout gets to touch more of the film, so I'll be a better filmmaker if I go there, because then that'll maybe let me, you know, direct one day.
1: Because layout is kind of the 2D animation equivalent of cinematography or camera operation, but it, but is it requires it is, a tremendous amount of drawing.
2: Yeah, and it yeah. Is, and is rarely ever the path to directing. <laughs> it, it's not impossible, but it, it, it turns out
0: the actual path is more often animation storyboarding and then... Almost always right. story, but some Story, because are, yeah. yeah, layout is kind of like taking storage, converting it into 3D in a way, right?
2: Well, you t- you take the storyboard stuff, and then basically you recompose with the cinematic with an eye for cinematography and composition and so on. So it's great. I actually got to learn a lot right. um, on that sort of stuff. But I never identified with the job. Like a lot of people are like, oh, I'm a layout artist. It's like, yeah, I'm doing layout. Was not. But especially when I got into art direction and production design, I look at people that were doing that job really well, and they're amazing, amazing artists. And I think I get by in that position. <laughs> and my real strength comes from if any, was that I'm a good organizer and I'm, and I, I think I know enough about art to work with people that are better than me.
1: Well, also, I think one of the things that you, I'll toot your horn briefly, is that layout, <laughs> <Stop it. laughs> sorry, tooting his horn, um, layout is a, um, is one path to, uh, to making a film, but it's often seen as like a functionary thing, like just translating ideas. But Kevin always looked at it as a filmmaker and, right. um, and that's what made him good even though there were people who could draw better than you who could compose and paint better than you you were thinking about as a filmmaker and that's incredibly valuable even on our film recently uh, you know our uh, our dps um, our editor our animation supervisors were also directors who did you know their own things at Drake, and that made them that much more valuable at that role right they like they were really good at it because they were always thinking about the film and not necessarily their division the way the way movies work, especially things that are heavy in post-production or visual effects or animation, mm-hmm. you know, you take this impossible task, which is like making a film, um, or like it's, it's like going to the moon. You take this impossible task and you break it down into smaller and smaller tasks until it's something one person can do, and then you divide those up. Yeah. And so it becomes a factory floor, and this is true, you know, all over the world. But the people who really love it are never satisfied with mm-hmm. just their one slice of the pie. Right. And I was working on giant feature films at ILM, and it was great. But I was like, yeah, but that guy sitting on the other side of the, you know, of the Skype session. Guillermo del Toro or somebody like that yeah
0: that's the job to have like that well you, so did you feel like that was part I mean did you also always see yourself as a filmmaker um Joe
1: yeah yeah for sure although you know I, I tried to hide from it for a little while because it's like and you tell yourself like I am working on giant visual effects films I'm you know I'm on a set in New Zealand you know shooting a movie I'm holding the camera I am a filmmaker which is true and I, I don't want to devalue that job at all but did you do that? actually? Yeah. yeah. When uh, did you get to hold the camera as a as a
0: visual effects? <laughs> yeah. Don't
1: tell the don't tell the union. Um, I was an animation uh, director on Yogi Bear for Warner Brothers. Right. And we shot that in New Zealand with a um, with a mostly Australian camera crew. But our director, who actually our, their director is Eric Brevig, he came out of visual effects as well. He like there's a couple shots that were point of view from one of the characters, a little talking bear. Yeah. Um. And he, and you know the camera operators were great and I got along great with them. But they're like, no, no, give it to Joe. Because he knows what the character is, so I'm like operating camera for for performance.
0: Because you, because you were the animation director, you knew how Yogi would move and and how. Boo boo, but yeah. yes, Boo yeah. boo had a had a camera in his bow tie. Oh, it was a very
1: important prop. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's cool. So I think I can. I think Joe is similar. You can disagree with me I'm, with if I'm wrong, but um, so although we love the tremendous accolades that come with having a video on the internet, yeah. Um. <laughs> Which is like it's not much. It sort of a goes feature in.
0: film, man. Yeah. It's a feature yeah. film,
1: yeah. But that's, that's we're not trying to badmouth Netflix. We're we're really excited. We're very happy to work. On <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, for sure. It, actually, it's the best place ever. um I, I have
0: that, a feature. Yeah, I want yeah. a feature on Netflix too. It's I didn't call it a, a YouTube video or anything Well, I'm just I'm, I'm just
2: saying like uh. A... Oh, that's right.
0: Earthquake, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah That's awesome.
2: But the um that's that, I think for both of us, that's not what we're interested in. Like the to me it's the it's the actual creation of it. Like um, it's the same reason I said I didn't identify with those jobs because that felt like that was it and I wanted to affect the whole. Um, the reason I identify with this job finally is that I feel like I'm actually having an effect on the whole thing. and it's not that I'm, you know I need to be in charge or anything like that, but this is the place where I feel like I can have the best, you know place the best best place to embrace the entire thing and affect the outcome in the best positive way. And it's that that I I love. Like I would go back and do that if it didn't come out on the internet. Uh, <laughs> and and for the accolades, right? Like I would be doing that and working super hard um as long as I could pay my bills. And so it's like yeah, that finally feels like a home
0: that I want to explore. I just want them to give yeah. me another chance to do more of it, right? You know, just curious when when you um you work on those films and you see yourself as a filmmaker, you see yourselves um, solving not just the problem that you're being tasked at that point, but like, you know, you see the bigger problem too, right? And, mm-hmm. and you know, you have a feeling that you can solve it. Was Did you feel that same way in terms of um, where it's like, you're here solving these little problems where you can actually be a bit, you know, have a bit higher vantage point. And solve well, Well one of the problems? things about that,
1: like, cause you see, we work with, we've all worked with directors who we, right. you know, lots of directors that we respect, ones that maybe we don't agree with as much but um you, you you quickly learn that you know getting the film good is actually only like actually executing the film telling the story is really half the job half the job is setting up and dealing with the environment in right. which films are made especially at a <coughs> studio level where there's a lot of voices and a lot of opinions and a lot of money at stake and uh, we just sort of we we kind of we thought we knew we, we what we were doing we're pretty sure we knew what we were doing we just want a chance to prove it right um, because there may be, you know, may, you know like, given, given the opportunity to make, you know, some, some film in a studio system, maybe we, you know, could do it, but the I'll just act against you or, or whatever. And we just, we got lucky on this film that we did get to make our film tell the, tell the kind of story we wanted to tell, which is not something you always get to do on a first film.
2: Yeah, and I think, for, I think the really thing is, because you get to this position, because you feel like you can do it, You know, I don't think you can be good at your job and be proactive without starting to look at everybody else's thing and going, I want to learn more about that and touch that a little bit so I can do whatever I do better, which inevitably leads to, you know, what I have opinions about that and I have opinions about that. And then I feel like I could probably do it as well, if not slightly better. Like you'll have occasionally have opinions about the way you would like to do it. And so you ultimately want to go like, okay, I can have opinions or I can actually put this stuff that's going on in my mind on the line and find out whether or not I actually can. And you would rarely get a chance to do that and have a true feedback because there are so many voices in it. But this one for good or bad is really, really pretty much what we set out to make. So it's like, if it works, then, okay, well, that's stuff we can learn from. And the stuff that doesn't work... Because, I mean, it's not universally received, too. We've really made some moms mad some places.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but, like, that's a, there's stuff to learn from that as well, right? So it's like, okay, I have at least one-to-one feedback from what I've created to how it's being received. And that's all I can really ask for. So if I can learn that stuff, then... And it's good enough that I get a chance to do it
0: again, then the next one's going to be better, hopefully. That's cool. I was wondering... Um... I was going to ask i had a few questions kind of popping <laughs> up and now you like you took me out of my uh balance um did you um did you ever uh during the process of making it did you ever ask yourself uh you know think maybe this is a mistake like maybe i'm not making next gen well i mean in the process not just necessarily next gen it might have been gear or like you know after you guys left you know, left the comfort of, Mm. of your, of your kind of known universe, even though you might not have felt at home there and you're, you know, you're on your journey home. Have you ever questioned? I remember
1: one moment on gear actually. So we, we shot gear and then we moved to my apartment and Kevin moved in for a week, brought his computer and slept in the living room. (laughs) Um, and we just did the visual effects together over a period of like seven days. Um, yeah, watch, watch gear. And then see how much stuff we did in seven days yeah exactly
2: yeah there's more yeah. there's more effect shots in our in that short than there are in the original jurassic park more, more of
0: cg sorry cg
1: in our film wait than the original, did you just say effort. you
0: did the vfx for jen in seven days for for gear yeah. gear for a gear yeah, yeah you did really yeah. yeah i mean there was there
1: was pre-production there was modeling and stuff that was done beforehand but the we did all the shot the animation compositing every, lighting everything in about a period of about a week wow yeah that does
0: not look like it. <laughs> yeah, um, look like it. it was it's a crazy. long week.
1: Trust me. Um, and my wife Narine, who yeah. Naree Hokopian, who you know, produced it from from our living room. She had a whiteboard
0: with shot shot numbers on it and everything. <laughs> that that is so helpful. I'm yeah, sure. yeah, that was great. How? Why was it seven days? Well, uh, there's
1: a, contingent reasons, but okay. we basically were running it. There was a deadline. For that gotcha okay um, and we were waiting on some assets um because you know you can't, you can't pay people a lot so you can't demand that they work overtime and stuff gotcha. like that so whenever we, we got
2: we also got a really big favor from a buddy of mine to get color grading for free oh, gotcha so it's like if i'm going to get free professional color grading i'm going to hit that window. right you want to be able to, to
0: deliver yeah okay. but we were kind of trapped to
1: color grading on one side and some asset delivery on the other side and that gave us about yeah seven to ten days to do everything but i remember at one point. Um, I was, uh, I was, we were doing this one shot, actually kind of the climactic shot in the movie where, um, uh, um, Mazzy and three, instead of May and seven, um, let's not, let's not go there. Yeah. Uh, we don't want to repeat ourselves. Yeah, exactly. But the, the, main characters, um, sort of meet each other for the first time. and They kind of bonk. She, he lifts her up off the ground. It's a CG character <laughs> lifting up a human character. They kind of bonk heads. It's like an emotional climax, but it's also right. the biggest CG shot in the film. And we, we shot that. And we didn't shoot coverage because we were late. It was late at night. Ben Kitchens was our our DP. It yeah. was late. We were running out of time, and you know we had we we're working with, um, you know, a really talented crew. But it was still like run, we were like running, and so we didn't shoot coverage. We didn't shoot like an over <laughs> or a single or anything like that. We just shot this basically an empty plate of me standing on an apple box pretending to lift up a, a small you know small human. And um, I remember, and you know, Kevin did a bunch of like prep work on that shot to make it ready for animation. He repainted the whole background. It's a moving camera, lens flare, smoke, all this all this crazy stuff, right? And then I'm doing the animation for it and I'm in the middle of it and it looks like crap. And um, it's like two in the morning and I'm, I'm having a panic attack trying to animate the shot, like frame by framing like the contacts, you know? And because, right. uh, you know, we didn't have like, you know, lidar and stuff like that we didn't we right. couldn't like track you know we didn't have motion tracking or anything like that it was just all brute force all brute force yeah um, and and uh, and a really powerful roto tool in in after effects um, and, and I'm yep. sitting there animating the shot, and I'm, I'm literally having a panic attack. While this time, like I can't, like I can't breathe, and I'm sweating, and I'm like, "This is this is this is shit. This is the worst thing." And I just blew, you know, ten grand of my own money on this, and you know, and I gave up everything, and, and then like sweat coming, you know, it's like, and I, I'm having a panic. Luckily, Narnia was there to sort of talk talk me down. Um, but then Kevin had done the 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 compositing, and he like he rough did a rough comp. I think he did a rough comp of the. Um, of the animation play blast. It was just the play blast. It was just like gray shaded polygons. And it worked. And and I was like, oh shit. And it went from like a, the like the worst shot in the movie to the like emotional climax of the movie. Like and it and it clicked. It wasn't just a shot anymore. We were telling the story we meant to tell. And then like the process, it looked ugly, it looked like crap until it looked amazing, right? Right at the end. And I'm not patting ourselves on the back. It's just like it was. It became something more than I had intended or that we had intended. Well, it's, that, it's that part of the process, right? The uh, abject
2: fear of failure <laughs> yeah, versus... <right. laughs> so the abject fear of failure is when you're in the middle of it going, oh, shit, what the hell did I do? I made and, terrible
1: <laughs> life choices. Right.
2: And then the the uh, the arrogance is when you're done, it's like, oh, that turned out. And then the next thing you don't know how to do you go, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you repeat.
1: <laughs> yeah, repeat the panic. There's the,
2: sweat panic. The, I what was it? I was in my daughter's school the other day and there was a Mark Twain. I thought it was all original and or everything, but apparently I've been paraphrasing Mark Twain, which was... Um, I hope it's Mark Twain. At any rate, there's some quote to the effect of somebody asks, you can do something.
0: say Yes, sir. And then get busy learning how to do it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's pretty, that's kind of fake it till you make it, you know, the, the mentality. Uh, and when you did have that panic attack, did you think about like those life choices or like, why, why did I just leave ILM? I could have. Exactly.
1: Like I left ILM where I was animating giant robots, right? Like, so it's like, and, and now I'm doing it, but I'm not getting paid for it. And, uh, you know Living out of our two bedroom apartment, and you know, it's, there's like this sense of like this was a terrible
0: choice. But it's um, an interesting thing that you mentioned specifically working on a shot in post production, which is what you would have done anyway. Yeah, if you had stayed there, and it's like so I thought I same. got into directing so
1: I didn't have to <laughs> animate, like I'm and, and they're like pixel fucking. And I'm like, like, at, yeah, two in the morning, I'm like, why am I doing this? And a friend of ours, a great friend of ours, had just had an announcement in the trade, he'd got a um, uh, like a movie development deal. Um, and it was like in the trade that <laughs> day, like, and here I am, like doing doing fucking pixel by frame by frame. Here I'm, match, back,
0: in a, I'm back in the grind,
1: dude. Match, exactly match I'm... moving, right? Like, and and I was like, this this was terrible. This was a terrible decision.
0: But in a way, it is actually proof that you did the right decision because ideally, you wouldn't have been sitting there doing that effect if you had, you know, just directed it. You know, you could have handed off to someone else and. Did you guys do the visual? Did you guys actually uh, hands-on do some work on uh, Next Gen yourself? Yeah, Yeah.
1: Kevin storyboarded uh, half the film, or re-reboarded about half the film.
2: Yeah, Uh, We, we work in because we do. A little bit of everything. I'm not saying we do it good, but we do uh, everything from writing all the way through to animation, and we could probably even light and composite poorly and do effects. Well, right,
1: yeah, you're a compositor and you're a matte painter, and I'm an animator and a camera guy, and
2: but because between the two of us, anyway, we can you know at least be roughly comfortable in every part of the process, all the way right. th- all the way through to the end. We'll use whatever tools are most effective to communicate the the idea. So if it's best uh, redone re- rewriting, that's fine. It's like I'm trying to explain this but God if I just boarded it really tight then it would be fine and then occasionally too I, I got proficient in animating in Photoshop yeah because uh, occasionally it's like I'm gonna just frame by frame animate some visual effects so that they can match them right um, they got really proficient in the end but it was it became a, a good tool to just sit down yeah, and do it because, needs of, to be because done.
1: of the budget we ended up doing stuff you just sometimes it's like they, they you run out of artist time. And the only way to do it is to come in on the weekend and just do it yourself. So right. I animated a couple shots. I, I I worked. I did a lot of camera animation in that in that movie. You boarded big chunks of the movie. Reboarded um, the uh, title sequence. Kevin like basically art directed. Well, Richard art directed. But you yeah. you cut that thing together. You designed that. Um, you know just just by hand. You know just the way you would have done in grad school. Because at that point I was I stopped being precious about like like if I have to move polygons. I'll move polygons. I wasn't precious about it. We knew the opportunity. So.
0: That's cool. And I mean today do you guys feel like you're uh past the hoop? I mean are you guys ever thinking of going back to ILM or, or like you know there's th- does that thought ever cross your mind? The hope the hope is that we don't have to because this
2: is way more fun. Yeah. Um even with like the, the the panic attacks and there's uh, just new stresses, right? And it, you're basically working as hard or harder. In fact, I think you work harder the yeah. further you go. Yeah. Um but there's there's real rewards and real drawbacks as opposed to um, writing somebody else's rewards and paying for somebody else's failures.
1: Yeah, one thing you do, as as I'm sure you know, David, as a like as a post artist, like sometimes you'll be sitting in editorial or we'll be seeing animation on our on our day jobs, our previous day jobs, and you're just bitching about the um, about the stupid client or about the dumb decisions the supervisors making, and, and it's a lot of complaining, and then right. you, and then you bitch and then you work overtime and you get paid and you go on. And, and, you know, on the other side of that, you know, like it's a, just a different picture, right? Like, you, like, oh, so now I have, like, it's up to me. Like, I can't just complain. I can complain about how tough it is, but it's up to me to make it work. Right. And, um, and I'm not saying that that's better or worse, but it does put, you know, it's a different weight. You know, like, it, like if you don't like it, make it better. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's nobody stopping you.
2: Yeah, um, I'd rather fail of my, you know, uh, try my best and fail. Then um, work on something else and do my best job on something I know that, or, or that, and, and not have it be my fault, my fault. Like, yeah, pay for somebody else's problems, or even yeah. like have to do an equation that I don't know how to do well because it's not my idea.
1: Yeah, like directing I, with somebody else's ideas. Yeah,
2: yeah, that was all very sloppy. But I think the thing is, it's
1: direct
0: feedback. Yeah, can you edit me right. to sound smart? <laughs> now I know the film just came out, so it's kind of early to tell. But like. There's this kind of conception some people I'm sure have about making your first feature, especially if it's distributed and people are gonna watch it and stuff. That like once you once it's out there, everything is fine. <laughs> your career yeah, is yeah. like you know it's just you know it's. Uh, now, it, f- basically,
1: you're unemployed, <laughs> and and you can't get any work based on your demo reel yet. So right. is, is that how it, is how it feels right now? Well, we got we did get a little bit lucky in that there was a kind of a big press event a few months before the movie came out a leak mm-hmm. um, about the movie getting sold at Cannes. Mm. Uh, which in some ways was great for us personally because like we got some, um, I don't know, like drive-by uh, PR because of that. People are like, who are these guys and why did the people pay so much for this? For the bill? record, when he said leak, he didn't uh, make air quotes. Leak. <laughs> no, it was a leak. It was like, I, 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 we don't know where it came from. Okay. That wasn't part of an official announcement. Um, there was an article in Deadline or Hollywood Reporter about the movie getting sold at Cannes to Netflix for a lot of money. Um, but and- that was that was decidedly not planned. Yeah, it was definitely not planned, and but we did personally benefit from that because suddenly people are interested in who these guys are. And, you know, we're we're the same people we were before that, and we were trying to get meetings before that, but now we're getting those meetings. Because there's a huge hunger out there in Hollywood for content and for directors, but when they say there's a hunger for directors, it's not just anybody who can direct, it's somebody who's directed and shown that they yes. Nobody wants to take a risk. Nobody wants to hire down. Everybody wants to hire up. So these right. guys, you know, on their on paper now have made something that somebody was interested in paid a lot of money for. So suddenly people are looking to us. Even looking at stuff we had pitched before now has interest because because of this. We realize that there's a bit of an artificial kind of hype to that, but we're not dummies. We're you know, we're definitely gonna take advantage of that. That being said, they don't
0: pay you until you're greenlit, right? Right. So are you guys at the at the situation right now where you you already have something you're kind of racing towards or like trying to like you know get yourself through the door on uh, some I, projects and
2: yeah i think our thing is we want to diversify as much as possible like we have we can't help it people somebody will say something and it'll go oh that makes me think of a story or i'll read half of a book <laughs> and then the other half doesn't turn out the way i want and it goes damn this is the way it should have gone yeah so we're constantly writing stuff anyway it might just be one pages or paragraphs so we have a couple scripts. We're just finishing up another spec right now for a thing that's kind of on brand to what we just did, but at the same time, we're taking meetings around town, and we found incredible creative partners in Bowser, Menoah, and Netflix. Yeah. And if we can find something to work with those guys on, just because it is such a fertile, awesome place to like do something unfettered, you know, that um, yeah, if we can find something, that'd be great. But really, it's like. You know we're putting a bunch of irons and a bunch of fires and we have no idea if any of them it could be none it could be four or five of them but we're going to try and like do that because the
0: the real goal is we just want more chances to get better do you guys have a conversation about like between the two of you you know our film's about to come out we better get you know our ducks in order make sure we have a you know a few scripts kind of in a good shape and stuff yeah,
2: about halfway through the film, we started writing another script because there was some interest in it. Actually, it was a feature treatment for gear. Oh. Um, and then um, it's like, yeah, there's no way we can be writing this while we're doing this. It's way too much work. Yeah.
1: When we had done some work beforehand that we're kind of de- taken off the shelves now because people are interested in those ideas. Um, and then, but like Kevin said, there's also just like a lot of pitches and something. Like but yeah, so like professionally, we did sort of put a little package together, even over just the last couple of weeks, knowing that this thing was coming out. Um, but you know, people have been really great. Like they, they kind of like, they kind of don't care if they've seen the movie or not. They just want to meet us.
2: Well, you know It's half and half. There's a lot of people where they do just say, Oh, you got this bot and it it went online. Okay. That you, if you can finish something and they bought it for a certain amount of money that takes away some of my risk aversion. We're willing to talk to you about things in that same ballpark area. But the other half are like, that same conversation, but you can tell in the back of their heads, they are going, yeah, but we'll watch your movie in a couple of days and decide for yeah, sure whether for sure. or not we'll call exactly. you back. <laughs> I
1: think it's pretty 50-50, actually. That's a good, a good measure of it. That's interesting. But I, I,
2: I totally get it, right? Like, it's a business, and it, it, it shapes the type of things that are made. It shapes uh, who gets to make them and so on. But, uh, like, you watch it long enough. At first, you're like, yeah, it sucks, because there's so many great people out there. It's like, I know that half the people that worked on our film could do an amazing film if you let them direct it, right? But it, it kind of sucks.
0: There's just not always the opportunities. Yeah, so your, your film just came out like last weekend, didn't it? Friday night, yeah, or Friday midnight, yeah. So pretty much like less than a week ago, essentially. Yeah. How has it been since then? You guys uh, start getting some feedback? Do you know any anything about viewership on Netflix? Well, or? Netflix
1: is pretty close to the vest with their viewership. Um, they don't share that information, but we've been told that they are extremely happy with the results. Um, it's meeting and somewhat exceeding expectations, um, which it, is good. We don't really know because you know it's not in the theaters, but
2: yeah, and it's still early days. We did find out today that we're tra- we're tracking exceedingly well in Japan, Latin America, and Russia. Of yeah, so places. yeah, we're we're, really?
1: we're we're delivering as expected as they projected um, in most places, except for yeah, Japan latin america and russia where it's exceeding expectations which is great wow. the fact that we have a film with robots in it playing in japan is a the, is it's a huge win there's for a, us. a tremendous <laughs> oh, amount sure. of like
2: so it's like um what is it i'm trying to figure out what the good analogy anyway i'll just say the the real thing is you know you grow up watching anime and stuff like that it's like those guys know how to do action
1: awesome <laughs> right <laughs>
2: like if i could do something that cool and then you make a film and it's with action in it and japan likes it it's like that's the best compliment ever because that's the girl that you know you were trying to impress in high school
1: (laughs) still obsessed with that one of the one of the really gratifying things is to be talking to our peers too yeah um, folks like you and people that we've worked with people in the animation industry who are really responding to the film because to some degree they're all the target audience right nerds Um, yeah nerds um and you know and you can you can like everybody's gonna be nice in this industry they're gonna be like no great job the cinematography was amazing Is shorthand for like i didn't like your movie but it's pretty But there's also, uh, so, so. but we've been getting like authentic, like, holy crap, guys, that's amazing. And, and it's, it's, it's flattering and a little bit heartwarming and somewhat embarrassing, but it's also gratifying because those are are the people that we're kind of making it for. So I'm glad that audiences are finding it, especially, I think there's a, there's a, a swath of sort of marginalized people who really respond to the movie because of, you know, our nature of our character. She's, she's, you know, she's a bit of an outsider and people who are outsiders respond, but also people in the animation industry who are just really embracing it. Because it's the kind of thing that everybody wants to do, and none of us get it often. don't often get a chance to do it.
2: It might, it might show my cynical side, but I tend to trust people who give me criticism more or, more directly than I would somebody who gives me a compliment. Because right. a compliment can be, you know, oh, they're trying to be nice to you, or they feel like maybe there's something they can get, or that they have to do it because of their job or something. But if somebody gives you criticism, it's usually honest, even if they're just angry. <laughs> but um, the two bits of positive things that you can't fake are if people laugh and if people cry, right? And those are the things I've been really happy. It's like, oh, I, I people are, I,
1: I laughed and I cried and I watch it and then you. Yeah, when you watch it with an audience and you see where people are, and, are tearing and up people
2: or, are sniffing, it's like, okay, great, that that actually that actually worked. I mean, it won't work for everybody. Art's subjective, of course, but like, I've been tremendously excited that I have feedback
0: that I know is one hundred percent honest. Yeah, and also a little justification: we're not crazy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, I, I got it. I want I just remembered when you mentioned the teenage like I, I loved how uh the the lead in the film is a teenager and she basically just wants to break stuff. Yep. And it's like it's like a really, I was
1: when I was a teenager.
0: Yeah, I mean it makes so much sense and you know, it's, it was just like uh very gratifying to see her get what she wants and then really uh disappointing when she wasn't able to get that. it was it was very I was like, Yeah, that's a good kind of you you know your you know, you know your character. It's not a you know it's not kind of a fake teen or, or mm-hmm. whatever. It's like there's something very raw and, and basic about it. And, and also, again, the fact that it's not something that you uh, that like traditionally you see in animated films. Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah we um, worked
2: we pretty hard to try not to take the edges off that we felt personally made it kind of real. Because mm-hmm. there's a tendency to want to make the characters likable yeah, or less likable yeah. Yeah, or less challenging to the audience and so on and just less violence and so on.
1: We decided you didn't have to like her. you just had to care about what happened next. right right and and luckily we have the robot who's super sympathetic that definitely gets people like, okay, what's gonna happen right? You're kind of yeah. with her, but then you, you lose her or she loses the audience, but then the, the robot's there to pick it up. One of the things that's
2: cool is if uh, our animators totally understood. Uh, I think a lot of the nuance of what was happening and it might not be obvious to everybody but if you go back and look a lot of times when she's angry she'll be she'll have a sad expression for a little bit just even a couple frames before, Micro expressions, yeah. before she's angry mm. which means that her stuff is coming from a place of pain right and that lets you know that yeah that's anger but it's coming from a place of damage right and those things add up to be sub subconsciously consistent which i think is why you start to get an emotional response oh yeah for not sure. not everybody reads it of course but i
0: think it adds up to something real no she definitely felt like she it came from a from a from a painful place it wasn't just she's mad or she's like you know bad <laughs> crazy yeah. crazy yeah no it definitely it definitely did and the fact you know in her her father's absence it's, it's very you know like uh, uh, it was very prominent I mean it was how the film started you know it's, right it's, yeah um, but it was felt all the way through I mean the fact that she's kind of overcoming something and, and trying to deal with it and not being too I, I didn't feel like she was too you didn't make her bad you didn't make her like an evil person well you know, a lot of that was, we
1: owe to Charlene Yee the actress who did the voice acting for that because she like even at her angriest is just a, a sweetheart right um, and so she brought a lot of pathos to that role um, and made her uh, appealing, you know, even in, when she's doing unappealing things. Um, I, I, this is a I don't know how how much we could share of this, but she talked about how when she was young, she used to think she was a tough guy um you know and she, she was kind of surprised when she found out she wasn't a, a, a badass yeah that she wasn't like intimidating to people she thought she was right i would yeah. tend to counter that and say that she actually is a badass she is a badass charlene is a badass with a really big heart but also really powerful anger that she was able to bring to bear if for you this. yeah uh,
2: this is i could go on about how impressed i am with her for days but if you look at her art she's a She's a, 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 a dancer, a, a singer, a musician, a poet. A poet and a cartoonist. A, a, a cartoonist. But you look at that and there's there's depth, uh there's 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 real damage and real understanding of pain and anger and all those things that she channels into this creative thing and makes it turns it into something beautiful. And it's like we we knew that she was funny and she had a weird cadence at the beginning, but you find out that she's just such a rich artist. Like she's an artist in the sense like that I could never Match, right? Like she's like bearing her soul daily and wow. making people
0: laugh with everything that's inside mm-hmm. of her good and bad. That's really awesome. i was um I wanted to to ask you guys about your kind of your time management, your day. I mean, it's it's obviously something that you probably it was easier when you worked in the, in companies where you have like specific nowadays, you kind of I'm sure when you work on a film there's like a, you know there's a schedule and stuff like that. This is a time right now, I guess. Where you're in between, you know, the film is out, you're, you know, hunting for the next thing. Do you guys, how do you guys uh, manage that?
1: Just drinking beer and then staying up to four in the morning, right?
2: <laughs> and, and Google Docs. Yeah. Uh, we, yeah. we have, uh, we, we, well, I mean, we have agents who are great and, and manage a lot of our stuff, but we, um, we're fairly organized. I think, which comes from doing these little films where you have to self-organize to a great extent. But we're we're busy. Like we're generating the material from the meetings. People mention things. We're like we should think about that, even if it's just prepping for a pitch to go back and
0: talk about something. So what does your schedule like look like? Your, your Google Calendar. What 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 do I find if I if I would look into that? I'm just curious. Uh, yeah. Well, the document you would find
2: a list of all the places we've visited, and then everything we've talked about at them, and then a list of okay, we should write a one page for this to prep for a meeting this one, we should actually send them this material. And then uh, underneath that is a list of all the things that we're doing. We have this script we need to get done. We have this one page, this one page and like what's ready to go so that we can deliver it to our agents. So we're still busy and keeping organized. And then every day's new meeting brings one more thing. It's like, oh, by the way, you also have to watch this entire season of anime and come up with a pitch. Or
1: here's a book that we really love and you should take a look at it because we want to talk to you about directing it or something and then we're like we'll get to it we'll get to it but then you read it and you fall in love with it and then now you got to do a pitch on that
0: and you have to spend time on that and you have to find find that time and allocate it and so you guys feel like you would uh, you you wish you had more than 24 hours a day at this point well you kind
1: of do right because you just don't sleep (laughs) yeah he's got terrible insomnia it's actually it's a real problem we should call a doctor
0: yeah Uh. yeah
2: it's it's fine it's fine (laughs) I'm fine yeah Uh, Joe can drive me home yeah No, uh, yeah, I think right now we're busy. Like, we fill our days uh, considering that, you know, for all intents and purposes, other than, you know, prepping for stuff, we don't have, like, a a production job right now. The nice
1: thing is, though, if we ever stopped moving, the existential dread demons swoop in and kill you. So, right, so you have to
0: like, okay, yeah. I got to be doing something. Yeah, right. otherwise, yeah. what, what, what does my life doing? mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's
2: all just a big, big, uh, it's all just a big um, shell game. Shell game to avoid uh, the uh, the quiet times where yeah. I have to introspect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, if I ever am alone with myself for
0: too too long, it'll all fall apart. Yeah, do you feel? I mean, it's it's kind of interesting because it's like when you're when when there's a schedule you feel like you, there's some something controlling your time but when you're like in between projects and it's kind of like a lot of uh, yeah, open I mean, ended things it's, it's kind of sort of when, once
1: we uh, i think once we started especially on this film just the way it was structured from a producerial standpoint we had to self manage a lot we kind of produced big chunks of this film ourselves we had great uh, super, yeah EPs and stuff. but on the ground we ended up being a lot of the people who are like kind of the adults in the
2: room. Well I think that more just speaks to the to, to the speed and size of the production that everybody it's all hands on deck. Right? yeah it's, it's, exactly we, we, no no, no failing just uh, it was everybody working.
1: So but also I think once you're a director and well writer or director, you're kind of living by your wits. like right. we, we say this to ourselves when you get notes from um, from your execs or whatever and they're not good or they fuck up the movie. Um, and, but you do them and the movie doesn't work. You can't say, well, I, I did what you ask. Like, it's no excuse. If you do what they ask and it doesn't work, it's still on you. Right. Gotcha. So um, and this is kind of tangential, but like, you know, schedules are kind of like that, that you, you have to just be responsible and like, what's, what do I have to do to get this movie done? If that means being disciplined, I'll be disciplined. Not, we don't like to, I don't have to worry about, I don't like to worry about the budget, but if we have to, to get the movie done, we will. And uh, the same thing is true for like, yeah, executive notes or whatever. Like, it's up to you to make it work. Yes, you have to listen to them, but, and they may fire you if you don't take the notes. But if you take the notes and it doesn't work, you're also fired. So you have right. to just, you just have to take responsibility. And so I, I call that kind of living by your wits. Like, there is no system for it. We, we just sort of have to make our own system.
2: Well, one of the things, too, this is, uh, I promise this is related, is that um, when we went into this film, we had a pretty strong idea that we could get more quality for the money than we'd seen before because we'd helped other people like oh they call us on halfway we you know what we had a false start can you come in and help us get this finished in time in our individual disciplines in animation and art direction so there's some of those methodologies but largely it's it's just looking at the entire thing so when we go in we look at the production we don't just want to do something nice and then you know fight really hard with the production staff to get what we want it's like no we want to know specifically how much time and how much money we have so we can pick the coolest thing to do in that time and that so that all of our quality is on the screen and like two pixels off the end of it it ends so we've spent all of our money on specifically what's on screen and that means that we do have like a interest in the production stuff we have to to get this quality and it's sort of a holistic thing like that's why we we loved um, working with Patty Hicks early on because she's a freaking genius but not only that she's a great she understands a lot of stuff but that she also understands the art right Right. she doesn't let it stop at one place and then and you know divide into camps of art versus production yeah
1: she's a great producer because she would guide us and she would point us and aim us and we never knew we were being produced right she was really good about just like putting us like like wouldn't you like to step down this path we're like yeah we'd love to and we just dig down and and people like that are rare which is why you know trying to get the team that you work together well with getting them back together is a one of the one of our big goals is yeah,
2: like, and in fact, when so Patty was mostly the LA side, and when we we lost her later on, it's not that the other guys weren't uh, good, but it's like you feel that loss of like. Yeah, I feel like damn, she was actually really good, and you kind of don't miss it as much until it was until it was yeah, coming. until
1: you know, yeah, you didn't know right. how much she did until she was uh, because she's a big wig over at Warner Brothers now. So. You but,
0: feel like you guys had to like uh, take that role though, like to you know, for instance, you know, this whole thing about. Getting the be- the most bang for your buck and making sure you're on top of things and stuff that's something that I felt you know when I when I was directing my feature it was also something that I I felt like okay this is my opportunity to, to prove that you can do more for this budget but right. then I didn't I wasn't involved as much in the visual effects process so there's a lot of like places where I just wasn't there to be able to do that did you guys have to step in and and take sort it or sort of
1: we got lucky in that like our creative leads were amazing and we could like if we were not available at some point the the schedule gets so fast that we can't even do lighting reviews anymore because they just got to get the shots out it's all just render time it's hard renders but we had paul sadoni and richard chen to pick up that slack so when we trusted them so when it landed on their shoulders we were okay yeah it's not like stuff that we would have liked to and there's anxiety in like not having your hands on it but if you have somebody in that position who can take care of it for you you can trust that does take a load off.
2: Well, the thing is those guys too were so good that it's not like, you know, we have one bar and then if it falls past us, it gets to Richard Chen. It's like, no, their bar is actually as high, often higher, probably higher than ours. And most of what we would be like uh, commenting on is like, does that really, I think this, we could improve the story point here. Right. So it might be something. Yeah, That was
1: the only notes we ever gave those guys was like, oh, we just missed a story point or missed an idea. And that was a matter of just schedule. Like they were not available at the time that, you know, we had to, communicate that story point. So something got done without their, and it was like, had they known it, they would have made that decision as well.
2: Yeah, so, uh, so, you know, in any other film, it would have been massively anxiety-making anxiety to, like, let that stuff go and it be in the art director's hands. Not that you wouldn't trust them, but it, you'd be like, that's a lot of trust to put the look of your uh, film completely in those people's hands. But it's like, right. shit, I can't do it better than that, dude. And if I have a difference of opinion artistically, more often than not, it's going to be different but
1: not better. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, or, like, if it is a story thing, they were always happy to accommodate, and that way you're only fixing the things you need to and not holding on to everything out of fear
2: right so, so the point at the film where it did go out of our hands and into theirs and it was it was a we, we were totally happy to do it that would normally be a massive failure in the system where shit falls apart but in ours it was like completely seamless and yeah, we're like because we
0: had
1: titans at every level
0: to yeah. pick
2: up the
1: slack yeah.
0: right what what made you guys have to you know kind of uh give give that up at that schedule point? They just, just schedule just schedule and timing and
1: talked about that complexity pass earlier there was some you know complex uh production issues that we didn't want to cause damage to the film. So we just found creative ways to work around those limitations.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I see. So to wrap things up, I'm kind of curious, um, your, what would your kind of advice be to people who, you know, to maybe yourself before you Hmm. made the leap, you know, and if, you know, if there's been any, any hesitations, what, what would you, or what would you tell yourself?
1: I think the, the, the thing I, I realize now, having worked with Kevin for, for I mean, basically for like seven years, eight years. You're going to tell everybody to work with me? I was going to say work with Kevin, um, is start sooner. Like I, I was definitely like, I, I'm going to figure out how to do it right before I try it. Um, so I'm very like book learned. Um, but a lot of this stuff, you learn way faster on the job. And you know, it's, uh, people said it before, when you uh, fail early. Right. Um, but I think it's just just do, it, do more of it and do it sooner. Um, I, uh, cause I'm very happy with where we are, but I'm like, I feel like we could have done this five years ago after we started our, <laughs> started our, you know, gotten the, you know, gotten the guts up uh, sooner. It would have been different, may have failed or whatever, but it, it's, I think, uh, uh, you know, in retrospect is like, yeah, we start, start sooner. Don't worry about failing because you're going to fail but you learn a bunch from that.
2: Well, I think Joe, and this that's Joe's advice. And now I'll give you a piece of Joe's advice as my advice. <laughs> when we we're writing one of our early scripts, like we've written a bunch of scripts, right? And some of them were pretty bad stinkers. And I was pretty depressed about the quality of it. Cause when you first finish a script, often you get the adrenaline rush of finishing, which feels just like it's good, but is actually just that you finished it. The dopamine which is hit, like yeah. so many people go, "God, you get rid my script? It's amazing. But it's like if you went, if you put it away for a couple of months and came back, it would actually be really bad. <laughs> um, but I was like, I, when I started to realize this stuff is bad, I think Joe said, you know what? It's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And it's like, yeah, okay. I did that, and I learned from that, and I'm going to improve it next time. And then um, I think the, so I think it's the same point that he's making is that, you know what? You, you're, you're not going to be awesome the first time. You just got to go and repeat. And then everybody's going to tell you, not everybody. A lot of people are likely to tell you that you can't do it or it's not worth the effort, and it's really easy to believe that. The very final story I'll share is Olivia Howe, who is the EP on this project, told us just last weekend, and I was kind of amazed, that she did something in the neighborhood of 172 PowerPoint presentations to try and get funding for this film. Wow. And she got two takers, which means that she she had 170... Failures. 170 failures before
1: two... And she didn't stop.
2: Yeah, wow. and, and she didn't stop. And then those those people now are coming back to her, going, "Hey, can we get on the next one, right?" Hmm. So it's like she's not going to take, "I'm wrong," from anybody. She's going to figure it out, and she's going to go with it. And that that's hard to do. That takes a you have to be almost insane, <laughs> yeah. or just tremendously uh, relentlessly positive, right? Right. But, and confident with your own kind of abilities. Yeah, like I would I would try. If people tell you you're wrong and you try and you fail, then I would
0: still try again. Yeah, because everything you try makes you better. I think I would say what you what you guys said early on was kind of kind of really, uh, you know, kind of resonated with me. Is as, as you said, you were doing something professionally. You were at the top of your game, working for the biggest companies on the biggest films, but you didn't feel home. You didn't feel like that the the job that you were doing was. Uh, you know, was, was, uh, fulfilling your potential in a way. And I think that's, uh, that's a big kind of takeaway that, uh, I feel a lot of people who have made that transition and, and, uh, and started, you know, in, in one place and ended up in another, it's just, you feel it, you feel it like very early on you feel like you, you can do, but, you know, you, you have the potential to do that. And, uh, and you just want to prove to yourself that you can. And I think that's a, a big takeaway that I have. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. we've been talking for twenty for one hour and twenty three minutes. Right on. <laughs> That's uh, this has been impressive. great, David.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thank you, guys. I really appreciate. it. I mean, coming out here, I know you guys drove more than an hour. To, Battle to traffic from and, the west side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, I okay, had... it's the
1: first time I've been on the west side in
0: in like a decade. So, well, thank you so much, and uh, you know, good luck with uh, with everything. Thank you. Thanks, you,
2: Yep. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Post Post podcast. I'm going to include links to Joe and Kevin's uh, feature film and also short film gear um, at the SoundCloud page of this episode and the blog page of this episode as well. As I mentioned before, I also have already recorded six other episodes and I'm very excited to share them with you. Um, So in order to stay tuned, remember to follow. Uh, And that's it. Hope to see you next time. And until then, this is David Gidali of the Post Post Podcast.